Welcome to the Savvy Citizen Podcast. On today's show, we are joined by our friends from the Cooperative Extension, and we are talking about the grape of the South, one of my favorite fruits growing up, the muscadine. It's the bell of the ball for fall in Gaston County. That's right, Cotton Ginning Days returns. Happening this year, Friday, October 13th to Sunday, October 15th. There's a kids' county fair, live music, local vendors, and of course, the Cotton Gin will be returning all weekend long. Come out and join us at Dallas Park where the food is always good and parking and admission are free. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I am Dandrea Bradley, and joining me is Gavin Stewart from our office. We're excited because he's back with us. Good morning or afternoon or whatever time you're listening. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And our friends from the Cooperative Extension are back with us. We have Linda Minguez and Peyton Flowers. Thank y'all so much for joining us. Good, good afternoon, morning, whichever. Thank you. Happy to be here. (laughs) All right. So, Linda, you're bringing us something different today. We are talking about like one of my favorite fruits growing up because I was that kid out in the woods that was picking, you know, wild blackberries and then these muscadines. So talk to us a little bit about what we've got going on with muscadines. Okay. So first of all, I have to say, because I'm a, I came from Southwestern Virginia. So muscadines were really new to me 20 years ago when I came to Gaston County. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Not a, not a, um, common fruit that I grew up with. Now, Uh. the wild blackberries, absolutely, but not muscadines. So it was a great treat. Um, One of the things based on that that I'm going to tell you, I find that a lot of folks, and you know, Gaston County is looking a lot different. We have a lot of people who are retiring and moving to our great state and region. So muscadines are often very new to people, and they don't know the history and how it grows. So I'm really excited that Peyton's here to talk a little bit about that. Um, So first of all, they are packed with great nutrition and antioxidants. Mm -hmm. They're right there on on the top of the charts with smart foods of things that we can enjoy and eat. Um, And the flavors are great. One of the things that I think you'll find when you start to look at recipes, um, and I think we were talking a little bit just about this, is that the thing about muscadines is they have this tough hull. Right. And, you know, it's a little different than what we think of grapes. And so if you're biting into a muscadine for the first time, it's a little different. It's got some snap to it's it. It's got some snap. It's got a little <laughs> bit of a um, a hull. So a lot of folks don't consume the hull. They don't eat the seeds. But guess what? Mm-hmm. That's where all the great nutrition is. Right. Yeah. So when you start to look at some of the recipes and... I was out there doing a little bit of information. In fact, there's some great information with the Muscadine Growers Association if folks are wanting to do a little bit more digging with that. Um, but there was, there's actually a, I found, and I have not tried it, so it's one I'd like to try. There's a smoothie recipe that incorporates the Muscadine with the hull and the seeds, and it uses almonds. And so that really is a great way 
if you're wanting to come up with something to enjoy the whole fruit. And I was thinking, well, you know, that might be a great way to blend and get rid of that texture component. So one of the things I always encourage folks when we're talking about local foods, and as you know, local foods, foods is one of Extension's flagship programs. So we're always looking at the great varieties and fall muscadines come to the top of my list um, is being able to enjoy them, you know, fresh. And a lot of folks haven't even tried them. So there are yellow and purple varieties, and I'm excited to hear a little bit more about those. My favorite, Andrea, are the yellow or maybe the green. I don't know what. I'm not certain what See, that See, I call them is. green. Okay. Yeah, I like those too. Yeah, those are my favorite. Now, I don't do, are you do you eat the whole and seed? So, what I normally do is after I bite into it, I will eat the fruit part, you know, I'll like get rid of the seeds. Yeah, yeah. And then I just kind of chew on the whole and get like whatever that soft stuff is on the yeah, inside of the yeah. whole. I'll get that and then I'll toss it. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. The conversations I have with people about muscadines is the first thing is, do you eat the whole? (laughs) This is probably more conversation than anyone has ever had about the whole of fruit. Divides the room. (laughs) Exactly. Probably so. so. But a lot, many times what you're going to find, especially in our region, I see more consumers using muscadines to make jams and jellies and to extract the juice. I've recently seen um, muscadine wine. Which, you know, I'm I'm a fan of wine. I will gladly have some. I've never had muscadine, so I'm like, should I try it? Should I not? I mean, it is a type of grape, right? So Right, and I've nor have I had that. So, you know, a lot of our producers in North Carolina and Peyton may be able to give us more information about the vineyards and how this is growing and developing. Um, but from a from the food side of that, that's where a lot of our information and when I get calls about muscadines, folks are asking about making jams and jellies. Nice. Very cool. And like, so for someone like me who likes muscadines and is willing to try some jams and jellies, like um, where can we find recipes? We've got great information. And so, it, you know, one of the things I tell folks is just to reach out and contact your extension office. Um, we can get information from the National Center on Food Preservation. And I have a couple of links, but your extension office is really a great place to go to, to find out what you're looking to make and make sure that we are guiding you for, you know, the research-based information. There's a lot of information on social media and lots of new cooking gadgets out there that may not necessarily be tested, which means you could end up with products that are going to spoil, if nothing Mm -hmm. else. So you don't want to waste your time or money. So reach out to your extension office and we'll get that information for you. But yeah, jams and jellies. But as always, just popping them in your mouth and having them as a great snack, you know. And one of the things I have started noticing um, over the last couple of years, muscadines are showing up more at local groceries. Yes. You know, um, but again, the freshness and the flavor, you cannot be what is growing from a local farmer. You know, I bought some at the grocery store just to compare the difference. And probably on average a week to 10 or to 14 days is probably the travel time, depending on where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So the best flavor, like so many other things, is to buy local. Local, Absolutely. Yeah, I think I've seen them in like Food Lion or somewhere like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Where else would would you happen to find them? Because I feel like I don't, I don't see them. I don't see them at grocery stores. And I feel like I've 
been over at a friend's house and there may have been like a vine or something that was just kind of hanging out, but obviously not, probably not taken care of. So do you find them at farmer's markets maybe? Farmer's markets and local growers are really your, your best spot for that. In fact, yeah, we were doing a 4-H youth program last week and it was interesting. I was going to local grocery stores looking to see what local foods they had. And think about how common okra is. We love it. It grows in this region. It's very popular. Chances are you won't find it in a grocery store. Right. I went to some of our local grocery stores and that's not there. You're not going to find it. So one of the things that we do tell folks, you do need to check out your local markets. And, you know, we're very fortunate to have several of those or, you know, find the growers that are in your area. You know, I actually had to think about that because I'm like, have I ever seen okra? If if I've seen okra, I've only ever seen it a couple of times in the grocery store. And usually it's like Ingles because like, Food Lion, or I don't even think I've ever seen it in Walmart, come think about it. But I've never paid that close attention. See, you've got me. See, I'm yeah, going on scavenger hunts in the I grocery know. store well, now. <laughs> one of the things that, you know, and again, I'm I'm anxious, I'm curious to learn as well. You know, I don't know if because okra does not like cold. So maybe it's a transportation issue and, or in terms of storing it. Oh. I really don't know. Maybe that'd be another conversation for a later podcast. Hey, all things okra, I am here for it because I love some fried okra. Yeah. So, you know, muscadines are really kind of growing in popularity. And I think probably from a lot of the marketing that's been doing, been going on through North Carolina Department of Ag and growers and that I think we're starting to get more familiar with it. But it is interesting that unless you've grown up locally and seen it, Muscadines are not something that many folks are familiar with. Right, exactly. So, Peyton, we are going to bring you into this conversation oh, because, I'm <laughs> yes, you're you're over there. You're you're itching. You're like you're ready. All right, talk to us because I know you've got so much knowledge. <laughs> so, L- Linda said a whole bunch there that we could unpack. Um, the first thing um, we didn't um, commit the cardinal sin of muscadines. Um, we did call bronze muscadines green. So we would typically refer th- to them as black or bronze oh. or red or bronze. You can use use those interchangeably, but bronze. bronze Good, to know. Is the, Good to know. If you're going to be a muscadine um, s- snob. All but right. um, if Peyton you, is a muscadine. He's, he's bougie <laughs> when it comes to muscadines. Precisely. <laughs> not, well, not as bad as the folks out east, which is the point I was getting to. You hear them uh, called scuppernongs. Right. Um, and that's typically referring to the bronze muscadines. And really the first muscadine that was under cultivation is supposedly came from right here in North Carolina. Oh, wow. And okay. that it was called like the, uh, they made it call it like big white muscadine or something like that or mm-hmm. big white was what they called it but then that changed to scuppernong they named it scuppernong after like where it was found um, so technically if you use the term scuppernong you were referring to a particular variety of bronze muscadine but in general especially in the eastern part of the state they're referring they typically refer to all bronze muscadines as scuppernong which okay. is technically incorrect. So I've never heard that term, but I have heard scuffy dines. I've See, never heard, heard that. that one. I haven't so, heard that one. Yeah, growing up, my mom was like, do you want some muscadines or some scuffy dines? I'm like, what's the difference? <laughs> 
Okay, so, so surely I'm not the only one. So y'all have never heard that? No, I haven't. That's interesting. I like it. See, now I'm going to yeah. have to go research that because I'm not sure what I'm talking about. <laughs> What's really cool, um, if I remember correctly, uh, there is a place on South Chester Street called Fine and Fresh Flowers, um, but they, I remember whenever I was younger, my mom would take me there. It was, they had wine, but they also had muscadine and scuppernog, uh, like, I guess it's not, it's juice is the best way to put it. But okay. she would always buy me a bottle. That was the first time I learned about muscadine and scuppernog and the difference between, because I think a lot of people don't realize what scuppernog is, but yeah, it's it's good stuff. Yeah. And then we'll, um, as far as why you may not see them here, or you're probably starting to see them more is because of what we're seeing with plant breeding mm -hmm. um, or the reason like sometimes the flavor may be off from the ones that you would buy in the grocery store right now. Um, a lot of that has to do with the cultivars and their stem scars. So like when you pull them off the vine, there's a scar there and it can either be dry or wet. Okay. The ones that have a higher percentage of wet stem scar typically go to wine or juice production. And the ones that have dry can be fresh market. Um, there are some that are for both that produce heavier yields that okay. have the dry stems like Carlos is a popular bronze variety. Noble, I think is a, is a red or black uh, variety that um, has a pretty good dry stem car, stem scar percentage. Say that five times really fast. <laughs> um, so because of that is why you may see those and they're really popular. They grow well, they're reliable, but they're not the most flavorful. And it's not until recently that we're seeing, you know, a lot of work being done to, so we've, we figured out yield, we figured out, you know, self fertile muscadines. Now we're almost every muscadine that we recommend to plant are self fertile muscadines. Oh. Um, so they, so they're, they'll have male and female, um, parts on the flower and they do not require a mate for pollination to get fruit. If you have female varieties, which are still popular, you need for every three females, you need one self-fertile. Um, and we think that, interestingly enough, the reason that you can find wild grapes, um, we think that, you know, there's some, we don't know how much, um, and I really shouldn't say that's the reason you find wild, I mean, um, we think wind pollination plays plays a big factor with oh, okay. muscadines as opposed to um, relying on our pollinators. They're they haven't looked that far into muscadines yet. So when pollinated, so really they need to be planted. If you're going to do a female cultivar within like a hundred foot, 50 to a hundred feet from a self fertile, um, probably more information than anybody wants to know about muscadines, but it's important if you're going to start your own. And the reason you would want to start your own, just like we talked about the blackberries being the number one berry in my mind, as far as entry into um, growing berries, right? Muscadines are up there with blackberries as far as um, the conditions, our growing conditions here in Gaston County. They're tough. They don't mind our our clay soils. They they we grow well. Once again, they grow wild here, so we know that they grow, and it, it's just a. The issue is, is typically they're growing in environments where they're not getting enough sun. Mm -hmm. You put them in full sunlight. Give them two or three years to vine out in a trellis to, to run on, and about. And if you're going to plant multiples, just so you know, you want to give them about twenty foot 
of spacing. So they take up a lot of space too. That's okay. one of the reasons probably most folks, well, that and the flavor issues um, that some folks may have. Yeah, the whole. <laughs> um, but once again, another important thing that came up in that conversation was the, um, and if you need to learn how to grow muscadines or prune muscadines, um, that's something that you come to our office, I'm happy to help you with. Okay. That way we don't have to dive deep down that rabbit hole. Um, but the reason that wine production is interesting is because you typically, those benefits that Linda was talking about, those health benefits, um, the this whole muscadine is used in that process. So a lot of, and that and the concentrated juices, I know this because I just recently went to, you were asking places where for wine, Woodmill Winery is pretty close in Lincoln County. Okay. And uh, if you want the spiel, I'll let, um, they, they do a pretty good job of giving you a spiel on all the health benefits and the reason that they pr- produce wine. They also do a concentrated juice or are working on that, I think. And then I know Limeburgers here locally does some muscadines as well. Um, so you can find it in our in our area. In our area. Nice. For sure. Um, so don't let, and once again, they're, they're going to taste better and that it's going to be better than what you're going to be finding in the stores. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I probably left something out of all that, but um, all the plant breeding. Uh, I have to, I'm excited about this, right? <laughs> we were talk, talking about um, having to spit the, so we're working on, well, we're, People who are smarter and better at plants than I am are working on um, producing muscadines with um, thinner skin. Okay. And making them seedless. Like more like the grapes that we yes. are buying. And the one of the ways they're doing this is by hybridizing these muscadines between uh, vine grapes. So our table grapes. Oh. So they're breeding muscadines with table grapes. And we get more disease vigor. The reason you don't see a bunch of table grapes um, being grown here or grown well is a, is a disease called Pierce's disease. Mm-hmm. And muscadines, um, although they can get Pierce's disease, tend to be resistant. And most cultivars um, don't have any issues with the disease at all because they are a native plant. And another reason why um, a lot of folks from this area may have not, may have not know about muscadines is because it they're limited as far as their production and the way that they grow right. to the temperatures here in the in the southeast. So as soon as you get up into Virginia, the cultivars, you know, they're not as cold. They're, we haven't been able to, we, once again, we, I'm taking credit for everything. <laughs> um, plant breeders haven't been able to, to breed out some of the, um, I guess, breed in some of that vigor um, in, in colder climates. Quite yet, although we have started to see some cultivars creep their way into the mountains of North Carolina. Okay, uh, but North Carolina tends to be the cutoff as far as muscadine production in a few areas in Virginia. So now, what about um, South Carolina? Because you know, Linda, you live in South Carolina, right? I do. Don't hold that against me. No, we won't hold that against you, but that's okay. <laughs> but now, do you find them in you in your area? Yes. Yeah. So they grow just pretty well in. Pretty much all the way down to Florida for me. Okay. So they like the hot weather. Hot, humid. I mean, it's it's hard to find, you know, to anything, if you're going to do any, grow anything organically too, mm-hmm. it's muscadines. You, we, we rarely see any issues um, production-wise. So the reason you can pretty much guarantee when you pick up 
hardly anything's been do, been done to it as far as um, pesticides. Um, you may have some conventional fertilizer on a conventional farm to help, mm-hmm. help the vines be more vigorous, but you can almost guarantee that no insecticide, no fungicide has, has touched it. Well, that's because, you know, nothing can get through the hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm kidding. I think you're a great candidate for the, the wine. I'm excited to hear more about the development of thinner skins and seedless. I feel like we're talking about muscadines before they they hit big, you know, before they they really oh, get yeah. out there. If that if that's really the case, I mean, that would be I feel like people would be more willing to try them if, Absolutely. you know, they were produced the, like that. Y'all like this. The first breakthrough cultivar uh was called Rasmataz. So Rasmataz was the first um small seeder seedless thin skin. Um and more, I would say probably in 15 years, I wouldn't, or 20, 15 to 20 years, it would, we might have some pretty good muscadines on the shelf in our grocery stores. That would be awesome. I was going to also mention, it's interesting, there's a lot of medical research right now being done. And I had found an article at that um, Wake Forest Medical University, they have been looking at muscadines and um, it looking, you know, in terms of cancer fighting and cardiovascular issues. So it's very interesting, some of those extracts, but it was also very technical in terms of reading and all of the factors that play a role in terms of the variety that's grown and the metals that are in the soil, all Mm -hmm. the variables that could impact the um, medicinal properties of that. But it's very interesting, you know, in terms of as we're talking about how, you know, the antioxidants and the polyphenol compounds that really help to create good health, how that's really being looked at in terms of um, pharmaceutical development. Wow. I tell you, we just learn all kinds of fascinating things whenever y'all are on the podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I, over the years, and, you know, I guess because I'm getting older and we're learning about the role, some of these foods that are in our region. Right. I'm also thinking about the history and how our ancestors, you know, and having some of the historical places in our regions like historic Brattonsville. And Mm -hmm. I love to hear, you know, even from the Shield and other local museums about, you know, what settlers did when they first came here and the foods they've used. Um, Because we take so much of that for granted and how hard they had to work to preserve and to create food. So, yeah, just hearing about the varieties and then coming to the Carolinas and tasting this wonderful grape. And I'm, you know, start, I'm really curious to learn a little bit more, like if it was ever dried, if they were, you know, successful in drying those muscadines for later use. I, I don't know. That's something. Yeah, I have no idea. I've lived here almost my entire life and I've always eaten muscadines, but I've never had like the jam or the jelly and I've never had the wine. So I have some new things to try. Yeah, and the cider <laughs> is great. So that's a There's great a cider too. Yeah, the, which is the juice. And I'm not quite certain why it's labeled as cider versus juice. Yeah, oh, I was hung up on it too because I started to say cider earlier, but I think I think that is what it's called. Um, and the, the place that I remember buying it from was Fine and Fancy Flowers. Not, I think I messed up the name, but if they still sell it, that's probably one of the closest places you can buy it. And obviously, if there's a company making 
juice or cider, they're very local or regional. And Line Burgers in Dallas, they have the cider as well. Oh, yeah. Some of the, the local growers now are working, and you'll find that, like, when... You go to festivals, you know, mm-hmm. like apple festivals in our region right. and the local growers. So, um, you know, that's another great way to enjoy it, especially if you're wanting to, you know, get your children more acclimated and just to be able to enjoy the flavor. And if they're a little hesitant about the hulls. Yeah. it's a good point. Oh, yeah. And find a way to a kid's heart with juice. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Is there anything else that y'all want to share with us about Muscadines? Anything we didn't ask? I don't know if I mentioned this. August through about September is when we anticipate being able to harvest fresh Muscadines locally. Oh. So that would be the time to go out and the juices, the wines, you can enjoy those year round. So that's nice. really what's what's up next is figuring out how we can enjoy this fruit um, throughout the entire year, make it marketable for so these So August and September, Gavin, we have to be on the lookout for muscadines. Yeah, maybe we'll go to the farmer's market, bring some here, and we'll all try it. Oh, yeah. I will tell you, not to eat an entire carton. You will have an upset stomach. They are so nutrient-dense dense and um, a good source of fiber. So don't do what I do because, you know, there's such an annual thing. I have a tendency to overdo it, and then I have a... Bellyache. Good to know. All right, yeah, guys, do not overeat the muscadines. If you, you know, for those you of will you end up with a bellyache. Yes, in podcast world, don't do it. Linda says, just say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no matter how tempting it is. <laughs> well, Linda Payton, thank you so much as always for joining us, and we look forward to the next one. Thank you. Yes, thank y'all. Ready to celebrate with your community? Then come join Gaston County Public Health for the second annual Walk and Roll Together Gaston. It's a chance to celebrate the Hispanic and Latino members of our community. It's all happening Saturday, October 7th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. in downtown Gastonia. Visit gastongov.com and click on the community calendar for more details. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. It's produced by the Gaston County Communications Office with hosts Janet Schaefer, D'Andrea Bradley, Elizabeth McGee, and Adam Gobb. Joshua Braswell serves as executive producer, and Gavin Stewart serves as field reporter and producer. Please like us and share reviews on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Next week, it's our world-famous Halloween episode. You won't want to miss it.